Thank you for listening to the Firelife Church Podcast. For more information on Firelife Church in Irving, Texas, please visit wearefirelife.org. We pray the Lord blesses you greatly through this message. Okay. Thank you, Chris. I'm going to need a little feedback today, or this is going to be tough. It'll be tough for me. Um, as you can tell, uh, this is a picture of a potter, a, a man working with pottery, shaping it. And today I want to talk about spiritual formation. And talk just for a minute because along with being a, a place that hosts the presence of God, along with being a house of prayer, we must be a house where people are made into disciples of Jesus. All right, I'm going to start walking around now. We are to be a house of disciples, a, a discipleship house, which is messy. <clears throat> Amen. So if you want to open to Jeremiah chapter 18, we're going to read verses one through six, and we're going to walk through this for a moment. And I hope that the Lord would stir up the disciple in you because you've already said yes to follow him. Most everyone I believe here has said yes to follow him, right? So you've already heard him. He's already called you to be a disciple. So your heart has already responded to him. We just want to refresh it. Amen. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we need you. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now. I ask that you would loosen, uh, loosen in the room. Remove heaviness. Yeah. Father, we ask that your anointing would come now. You said your anointing breaks every yoke. We ask that your anointing would come. Help me to say what I need to say. They're your words. Help me not to say any of my words. And God, I pray that good fruit would come from this, that seed would be sown, and it would produce good fruit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jeremiah 18, verse 1. And it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. I love that. Last week we talked about Simeon, the old man, waiting out, camping out at the temple, waiting to see Jesus with his own eyes. And then when he saw him, he knew. It's, it's a similar thing here. He's like, Hey, Jeremiah, I have a prophetic word for you. How many want a prophetic word? Sometimes he tells us to go somewhere without the word first. And in this specific example, he's like, Jeremiah, I need to talk to you, but I need you to see something first. So I need you to go to the potter's house so that when you're at the potter's house, you will understand what I'm about to say to you. And some of us are in that place right now. The Lord has a, a word that will unlock you. He's just waiting for you to go to the place he told you to go to do the thing he asked you to do. And in the act of obedience, the word comes alive. So Jeremiah uh, he gets the word and it says, so I went down to the potter's house and there he was exactly as he expected, right? The potter was there and he was making something at the potter's wheel. How many have ever worked with pottery? It's messy, man. Like it's, it's a hard job. Like I have a vase in my office that like 12 year old Jared made and it looks like 12 year old Jared made it. <laughs> I don't know how these people make these beautiful vases that are thousands and thousands of dollars or the ancient civilizations that made pottery to this day that is gorgeous, beautiful, still preserved. I don't know how they did it. It's so messy. You have to be skilled at it. And so this potter is skilled and he's working at the will and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the potter's hand. It was, it was messy. It had imperfections. Anyone, anyone have any imperfections? So what did he do? 
He started over. How many have ever done that? How many have ever done this process? So when you're working the clay and you start to shape it and it doesn't work, when you start over, that sounds nice. You, don't, you, you crush what you just created. You break it down to where it was before. You, put, you add water to it. You heat it up. You do the things and you work it back. It's painful. Hello? It's not, it's not like, oh, he just it simply started over. No, he crushed it and remade it. Come on. He made it into another vessel. And when he looked at it, it seemed good to him. So he's like, okay, this is better. Like Levi is one of those artists where when he draws something, if it's not perfect, he just destroys it. I'm like, no, 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 don't. Mandy's like, don't do that. Just keep drawing. You'll look back and see how you progress. But this guy, he destroys the thing he was making and he makes it into something new. And then the word of the Lord came to him. So he's just watching a story, a parable, an act performed in front of him. And now God's like, okay, now I have a word for you. And then this is the word that came to him. He says, oh, house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter did? Look at the clay in the potter's hand. So are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And so Jeremiah got the word that he was supposed to release to all of Israel. He's like, he is the potter and we are the clay. He can do whatever he wants to with us. One of the key things for us to remember as disciples, as followers of Jesus, is he makes the decisions. Hello. <laughs> he makes the decisions. I don't get to give him tips and pointers. Like, oh, I'd like to be, what did it say in, in uh, Paul was writing? I don't know if 1 Corinthians are saying, some things are made for noble purpose, some for ignoble purposes. It's not up to us to decide what he makes us into. It's the potter's decision. My job is to sit there and be quiet and be moldable. And he's like, Israel, this is the picture I'm trying to tell you. I can shape you. I can crush you and rebuild you over and over again until you're perfect, until you're exactly the way that I saw you from time past, right? And this is what the Lord's saying to us. He's the potter. Some of us have ideas that we would like to imprint on God's mind for how he, fa how he fashions us and how he makes us, but God determines it. He's the disciple maker. He's making us into his image. Amen? All right. So if you've said yes to the Lord, then you've entered into a lifelong covenant, a lifelong relationship with the Lord. You've chosen to have a relationship with God. You said yes to him. It's lifelong. But I want you to understand something. He's not our manager. He's our shepherd. Okay, we're just gonna walk through some stuff and then hopefully it, it makes sense. He's our shepherd, and uh, just having conversation the last couple of days, I was thinking about this too, that like when I said yes to the Lord years ago, I had no idea how much it would cost me. Anyone else? Like, oh, we, we entered this whole thing like, oh my God, he finally re-rescued me. Yes, this is the easiest decision I've ever made. And now when you look back over time, it's like, man, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's heavy to be a follower of Jesus. It costs us something. Amen? And the older we get, the more weight there is on our yes. We, we use the example of marriage. Like, man, 26-year-old Jared was an idiot. He thought he knew everything there needed to be known about being a good husband and all the stuff that comes with that. And I said, yes, like, oh, I've got this. And now I look back and I'm like, man, I didn't have it one step of the way. 
<laughs> but I just keep showing up. That's, that's what I need to do, just keep showing up and keep being molded and shaped. But our, our yes to the Lord grows in weight over time, not in a negative weight, but in richness, like in, in value over time. <clears throat> we were saved. Tell me we're saved. We are being saved and we will be someday saved. <laughs> this is what it's like. Like if someone asked me, hey, did you give your heart to Jesus? Yes, I, I was saved. If someone asked me right now, hey, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved right now. And my prayer is that I will be saved in the future. He can keep me, but it is a process. I'm just trying to show you that someone said this recently. I thought it was brilliant. I always said that Christianity, the, the race is like a marathon, but it's not. It's not a sprint and it's not a marathon. It's a relay race. Like I'm handing this off to someone, right? It is a long race, but I was saved. I'm being saved and someday I'll be saved. And then I'll pass the baton to someone else. Jesus was walking by and he saw people fishing in Matthew 4, verse 19. And he says, follow me and I will make you. Let's stop there. You know, it says fishers of men. I want to focus on that. Follow me and I will form you. Follow me and I will chisel something out of you. Follow me and I will turn you into something you are not right now. I will transform you. I will make you something. This is what Jesus is saying to us today. If you follow me, I'm making you into something. He's not just making you into a Christian who goes to heaven when everything's done. He's forming you and shaping you into something right now. He's forming us into something right now for purpose. He called us to be made into something, not just to be believers. Amen? Hello. All right, please. Here we go. This is, this is the key point for today right here. He did not call us to just be believers. Even the demons believe. Even Satan believes. <laughs> he didn't call us to just say yes. Answer an altar call. I gave my heart to Jesus. I believe I'm good. He called us to be formed into something, to be for. I like the word forged better. I think of like the Forged in Fire show on TV where they're making these beautiful swords. Anyone else seen that? I love it. Like they forge it. They, they painstakingly work this metal, the, the metals they choose to forge it into what they envisioned it. And they're beautiful. And that's what the Lord's doing to us. He's forging something into us. He didn't just want us to hop into and become believers. Even the demons believe. James 2.19 is where it says that. Even the demons believe. But he called us to be followers who are discipled by the person of Jesus. Amen? And by his ways. Galatians 4.19. If you want to go there, we'll just read that scripture. It's Galatians 4 verse 19. I'm doing this because this points to next year for us. This is another waypoint for us at Fire Life. We're to be a disciple house. <clears throat> Galatians 4.19. It says, you are my dear children, but I agonize in spiritual labor pain once again until Christ is fully formed in you. Come on, you see that? Until Christ is fully formed in us. 
One other version says, my little children whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. That's what you're going through. That's what I'm going through right now. How many have had some pruning happening? It's, it's painful. Some, some forming taking place, some rough edges being taken off. That's what the Lord's doing to us. And it doesn't happen if we just camp out as a believer. It only happens when we turn our heart on a pilgrimage to follow Jesus, to be a disciple. And uh, James 1, 4 says, let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete and mature, not lacking anything. All right, here's the question, million dollar question. How many feel like you're lacking some stuff? Me. (laughs) Well, he says, let my work, let my forging, let my shaping of you, take it through with patience. Be patient with it. And if you will be patient and if you will endure this process, then you, come on, will be complete and mature, not lacking anything. Here's the trick, everyone. Go back to Jeremiah 18. When I think I'm all finished, the potter looks at me and goes, "Mm, let's start over. (laughs) And here we go again. And he reshapes me. He remolds me. And then I think, oh man, made it through that season. I got it. I got this figured out. I am finally a mature Christian. I can tell all the other baby Christians what to do. (laughs) I can now be the the boss. I can be the leader. I can be whatever it is we say, we see, or I can just coast. I'm good. I'm set. Then he looks at and goes, hey, yeah, there's a little spot over here we missed. Let's go back and start over again. Like, can you just Buff that part out. <laughs> Have you ever said that? Lord, can you, just, can you just put a little wax on that and make it look pretty even though it's not? No, he's gonna crush us and start us over again. Look, the, again, the older I get, the more I appreciate when God chooses to crush me because the oil can only come out of crushed olives, right? The wine can only come out of crushed grapes. They have to be pressed. And so when God does this, it's because he loves us. It's his kindness. He prunes us because we are fruitful. And he only prunes us back to the place of fruitfulness. Hello? He doesn't just cut us off. He finds where we're fruitful. And that branch that just is just a stick. Have you ever seen uh, vineyards? Like there's, there's parts of it and there's places where it's fruitful and if it's not tended to carefully, if it's not pruned properly, it will literally just grow a stick and it will just keep growing. It'll be the craziest, longest stick you've ever seen with nothing on it, no leaves, no fruit. And when God sees that in our life, like everyone else may go, oh man, they're so mature, they're so amazing, they have so much gifts, they take up so much space and the Lord looks down and he's like, I don't see any fruit, I don't see any leaves, I don't see any benefit to this thing. So what does he do? He cuts that part of us off. He finds the place where we were fruitful and he cuts back and trims all the way back to the fruit so that the vine learns, oh, I'm I'm supposed to produce fruit. I'm not supposed to grow into a stick. And that's what the Lord's doing to us. He's pruning us. Some of us think that our gifts and all this stuff is the fruit. That's not the fruit. Fruit is what comes out of the obedience of our life. God can use our gifts, 
but only when we're using them out of obedience. God can use the crushing of our life to help other people, to serve other people. That's part of this whole thing, right? But the point is, all this stuff that looks like growth isn't always growth, and the Lord will always prune back to where he sees real growth and fruit, and it's painful, but he does it because he loves us. Amen? First Corinthians uh, 4, verse 15 says, First Corinthians 4, verse 15. It says, for though you might have 10,000 teachers. The word there is actually tutors. For though you might have 10,000 instructors, tutors, guardians, yet you do not have many fathers. The word father there is pater. It literally means father. He goes, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. In other words, I have become a father. This is Paul talking to his people, his church. And he's saying, you may have 10,000 teachers, but they're just teachers. They're guardians. What you need is a father. Amen? All right, we're going to close this up. The law was a, a teacher. The law was the tutor. The law was the guardian. See, in, in biblical times, people that were not of age, people that were not of age of maturity, full-grown maturity, there was, a, there was a time in their life that they hit a point where they hit an age of maturity and they were, they were given their inheritance. Until that time, they were given over to guardians and tutors. They couldn't leave the house without their guardian. They couldn't go anywhere without their tutor. Everywhere they went, that person was there. And that person's job was to be the enforcer in their life. To make sure that they obeyed the rules. To make sure that they didn't break the rules. To make sure they stayed in line. That they didn't go where they weren't supposed to go. That they didn't do things they weren't supposed to do. That guardian was there to be the external disciplinarian in their life. They were there to supervise their whole life and their morals. And whenever the, the student, the kid, would step out of line and act outside of the morals or the compass for their life, then the, the tutor would step in and bring them back into relationship with the rules. That's the law. The law makes us aware of where we're weak. It makes us aware of where we're not something. And that's what the tutor is. So as long as we stay immature Christians, then we are going to be tutored by the law. Please hear this. As long as I position myself as an immature son, the Lord is going to continue to leave me in the care of the guardian, which is the law, which means when I step out of line, I feel an external pressure on me because I'm outside of my boundaries and I know, man, I gotta get back inside the lanes. But it's external. But Paul here says, I want you to have a father. So see the external disciplinarian, the tutor was there to guard them and prepare them for their inheritance. But the father was the one who gave them the identity and inheritance. The father was the author of the foundation of their life. 
The father was the one who infused his own spirit into them to guide them and to prepare and govern their minds. It was an internal discipline that took place. So what I see and what I'm seeing for fire life is that for we are too, we are too comfortable allowing God to use a nanny to watch over us because it's safe. There's someone always going to be watching over me. There's always going to be a rule brought up when I break it. There's always going to be some external indicator that I have stepped outside of the boundaries of my life. But God is saying to us, I believe this so deeply, that God is saying to fire life, it's time for us to grow up because the only way we can have our inheritance is to grow up. We don't leave the elements of the law because the law is good. I don't care what the world says, the church world right now, the law is bad. No, the law is good. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul, come on. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. It's like to be desired. But the law cannot make me into a mature son or daughter. Here's, here's the point. The tutor sets the schedule. The instructor, the teacher, sets the boundaries for the day. They, the child wakes up. Like Levi wakes up now. What do, we, what do we do today? What is today? Like, well, buddy, it's church day. Oh, I knew it was church day. It's my favorite day of the week. All right, Levi wakes up Monday morning. What are we doing today? Like, well, you're out of school, so we got some, some lanes to fill today. Go back to school, whatever day it is this week, he goes back to school or whenever it is. What, what do I do today? You're going to school today. Okay, then after school, what am I doing? Well, you're gonna come home, you're gonna put your bag up. And then like, he's asking me to tell him what his day is. That's what a child does. But a full grown person wakes up and says, Lord, what are we doing today? And I determine I'm gonna do what you told me to do. I don't need someone around me. I don't need a tutor. I don't need a law. I don't need an external discipline because you've written your law in my heart. And now as a full-grown son, I'm going to respond to you as a son. And I'm going to choose this day whom I will serve. Joshua said it, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, he was determining. As for me, me and my house, we're serving the Lord. You get to decide how you serve the Lord as you grow into maturity. You don't get to decide what truth is. We don't get to decide what righteousness is. We get to decide how we spend the inheritance he paid for. Are y'all okay? And I'm, af I'm afraid that we've stalled out for whatever reason in this safety net of adolescence. Like I get to make some of my decisions, but I, I still have to do what I'm told to do. Like, man, I know that's a frustrating thing. We've got kids that are becoming adults, right? Like, like you still need, you still live in my house. So yeah, you've got a lot of freedom, but you still have to do what I tell you to do sometimes. Like, yeah, go pick your brother up, whatever. I've, but you don't have to work to pay for your house when you're an adolescent. Mom goes to the grocery store. Dad goes to the grocery store, provides the food. The hot water's hot when you turn it on. The AC works. Oh, this is great. I never want to leave this place. 
I have a car so I can go where I want to when I want, but then I also have the safety of home. And I feel like as a church, we've stalled out somewhere in this range. And the Lord's like, say, no, 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 no. It's time to grow up. I need you to be moms and dads now. I need you to start fathering and mothering some other believers. Discipleship can't take place from a pulpit. It happens on phone calls. It happens at coffee. It happens out walking the nature trails. It happens when you have a problem at 2 a.m. in the morning and your marriage is struggling and you're like, I need to talk to you. I need you to disciple me. And then the, the father or mother that you talk to tells you the truth that you need to hear so that you will position your heart as a full-grown adult to respond to that truth rather than externally putting a rule and a boundary on you to force you to do it. So if we just stay as believers and we're not as, as mature disciples, we, mit, we miss... We miss the joy that you can only know as a dad, I don't as a mom. Like when Jesus came to the earth, like we don't know a whole lot about his life until like we have the early part, we have the last part. But you see what he did? He picked 12 men. And he's like, follow me and I'm gonna make you something. 12 people. He didn't launch some ministry campaign. He didn't do some, he didn't come riding in on a horse. He didn't do all the stuff that, that kings should do. He goes, you know what? I need, I need 12 men. I need 12 boys that I'm gonna turn into men. And I'm gonna form you. I'm gonna shape you. I'm gonna wound you for your benefit. I'm going to prune you. I'm going to put you in situations where you may or may not fail, but it's gonna be okay because I'm training you and you need to go through this. And what I'm asking of the church and what I'm looking for in this next year is for those of you that are fathers and mothers, for you to step into that role in this house. There's an age gap in our church. We don't have a lot of teens and 20s and 30s in our church. We've got 40s, 50s and up, and we've got a lot of kids. There's a, this gap and I'm telling you, there's a whole generation of teens, 20s, 30s, and 40-year-olds that need some moms and dads spiritually to forge them into something. They don't need some fancy program, fancy worship service, some, some fancy uh, campaign to grow the church. They want a dad who will sit across from him at coffee and let them talk the whole time and then throw in wisdom. Throw in a piece of wisdom here. Throw in a piece of wisdom there and listen really well and cheer them on and forge them into something. Take them through the fire. Walk them through that. This is where, like, I'm, I'm, this is an invitation today for people to step into the role as fathers and mothers. And it, it looks like something. It's intentional. You're gonna pick two or three people or four or five people and you're gonna start fathering and mothering them. And what's gonna happen is we're gonna be developed through the process as well. Gosh, I, I can't tell you how many talks I have with my boys that were really talks for me. <laughs> I'm like, man, my son really needs to hear this. Blah, 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 blah. And then when I'm, the Lord's like, yeah, my son really needs to hear it too. 
I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm talking to myself. You are sneaky. Two birds with one stone, man. Because he's forging us into something. You learn better by teaching someone else, not by hearing. You hear and you believe. You do and you become a disciple. So Fire Life Church, we're growing up. Amen? It's gonna look differently. The prayer workshop is a big deal. The discipleship things that we do this year are a big deal to us. There's so much more. I, I, this is crazy, I know. They're so much more important than our Sunday morning worship service. Like, oh, that's blasphemy. No. You're not forged into a man or forged into a woman in a church service. Like, you've been sitting there for an hour and a half looking at a stage, listening. I hope the Lord's talking to you, but I promise if we had a five-minute conversation about your life, you'd probably be forged a lot more. The other stuff we're adding to the church is, is so important. It can't just be the Sunday morning thing. You guys okay? you stand we'll just finish there this verse jumped into my mind there at the end of worship I wanted to close the sermon with it it's Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 Normally, we don't talk a whole lot about Ecclesiastes. It's a pretty depressing book, if you really want to know about it. <laughs> Through everything turn, turn. Anyway, that's a Beatles song or someone, maybe. I don't know. One of those guys. That's Ecclesiastes. But this verse in Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, it says, If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom or maturity brings success. Like, if the axe is dull, anyone's ever done this before, you know it's so true. And we do not sharpen that axe, then we have to use more strength. And then we wonder why we're exhausted and why we're tired. But wisdom and maturity brings success. I I pray that the Lord brings wisdom and maturity today so that we can be successful. We can work smarter, not harder, as they say. So would you just pray with me for a moment? Father, we just come to you. We ask that you would sharpen us. Hmm. Pour wisdom into us, God. Forge us with wisdom. Your word is like a knife. It cuts us. We ask that your word would come and cut us, pierce us, cut away. You are the potter. We are the clay. So if you have specific needs, we'll want to pray for those at at the very end. You come up here to the front, we'll pray for you. 
But I want to ask this. Uh, uh, we've had these talks a few times in the men's meetings or even just the guys sitting around, we're talking, and we think back of all these great men. I've even said this probably from the pulpit. These great men and women that once were here in this house that were fathers and mothers that have gone on. Like James Cohey, Monica's dad. Just great man who was great at tutoring and training and working on, on people. Like you just go back through the time, you know. Like my papa was one of those. Like he always had people that he was fathering. He was spending time with. Um, there, there's dozens of them. And the conversation always ends up in this place in, in these talks with the guys. Who's going to be the next James Cohey? And we look at ourselves and we don't see it. Like, right? We're like, I'm just a goofball. I can't beat James Coey. And then the scary thing happens in the conversation. We start doing some math. You're like, James Coey was younger than me right now when he was doing the thing I want to do. Yet I looked at him and thought, man, that guy's such a man. I'm way older than he was at this, this point where I'm pointing at. And the Lord's like, it's just time for you to step in and be that father, be that mother, be that Linda Vaughn. Be that prayer warrior. Be that person who drops wisdom into people's hearts. So if you are one of those people here and you're like, I want to sign up to do that. I want to grow in the Lord, but I want to be forged and I want to be a father, a mother in the house. I'm going to ask you to come to the front and we're going to pray here. All right, so if that's you, we're just asking the Lord to teach me how to do this. We can't do it on our own. We just have to start somewhere, all right? So if that's you, would you join me here at the front? And uh, if you want prayer after that, we'll gladly pray for you.